0: Hey, hey guys and gals, Cable here, and this week's podcast is brought to you by the Go Wild app. See, if you're like me, you post your successes of your hunting and fishing trips on your social media outlets. And undoubtedly, that results in trolls and gutless punks coming on my outlets and telling me to go to hell or telling my kids to get run over by a bus. Um, It's sad what our society has come to. And that's why uh, I've been spending a lot more time on the Go Wild app. See, this is a place created by outdoorsmen for outdoorsmen and women. There's no hate. There's no vulgarity. It's just people encouraging each other, sharing in our successes and failures, and, uh, and sharing cool stuff like recipes as well. So if you want to be a part of something like that, hey, just go over to the Go Wild app. It's free. Did I mention that? It's free. Download it onto your iPhone or Android and become a part of a very fast-growing community, and I look forward to seeing you over there. Yeah, when I look south and see the storm clouds roll On their way from old Mexico I don't want to be alone when the fly through my shine about bottle Make me want to turn the key and put down the throttle Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning 35. Cable Smith welcoming each and every one of you to another edition of the Lone Star Outdoor Show This is episode 456, can't believe we've been doing it this long uh, but that's only because you guys and gals keep listening. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. I do appreciate each and every one of you as, man, there's, uh, there's no better time. This is the best weekend of the year, in my opinion, because it's the weekend where, in my home state anyway, uh, you can actually take your pick if you want to hunt waterfowl or deer. Two of my favorites, right? So, and, and you all probably have heard me talk about it over the years that, if you put a gun to my head and said, Cable, okay, well, you can only hunt one thing for the rest of your life, I would say ducks. I would. Uh, that might be blasphemous among the big game hunters, but here's why. Uh, I love hunting with my dog, Maverick, when he was alive. Uh, Bell, these past eight seasons, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's nothing better. And, and and that could be, you know what, I'll change that. I, I'll say birds just in general. Anything that Bell will chase down, phew. That's my favorite. But anyway, uh, these days, due to the career path, I guess, that I've chosen, I spend less and less time duck hunting and more and more time deer hunting. So uh, it is what it is, but I'm not complaining. Hey, I do love deer hunting too. And uh, we're going to get into some deer hunting today. You know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old thermos that still has mud caked on it from last duck season because off the top, we'll be joined by my son. That's right. Henry Guy Smith will be here to recap his first deer hunting experience. Uh, He got to sit in the blind with Dad last weekend during the Texas uh, rifle or gun season opener And we were able to set up our blinds, our pop-ups, and actually take a a decent buck together. So uh, we'll relive that through his eyes coming up here in just a little bit. There's something about uh, a young boy and just the wonder and amazement that is associated with being a little boy. And uh, I think it's good for the soul, for everyone to experience that youthful exuberance. And uh, it, I know it certainly took me back, that's for sure. And now, and as a proud dad, too, I mean, he wasn't bashful about getting his hands bloody. I mean, <laughs> there's a picture of him holding the heart on my Instagram feed. So he soaked it all up. And there were some funny moments as well that we'll talk about, I'm sure. Uh, and then we will be joined by a couple old friends, Ryan Callahan and Tag Spinst, uh, both of the First Light crew. Uh, Tag recently drew the Doll Sheep. I mean, coveted, once-in-a-lifetime doll sheep tag. He drew it at Sheep Show this last year. And so he was fortunate enough to go hunt doll sheep in Alaska's famed Brooks Range. And you might remember from our our pre-interview we did before the hunt, uh, as Tag joined us a couple months ago. I think it was back in late August. But anyway, he had no, essentially no hunting experience at all. I think he'd shot one duck in his life. Draws the sheep tag. Now he's going on a doll sheep hunt. I mean, I I'd cut off my right hand to to have that tag. I wouldn't really, but I mean, it's, it's a once in a lifetime. I'll probably never hunt doll sheep in my entire life. Uh, so tag, was lucky enough to draw that tag. And Cal helped mentor and prepare him throughout that process. I mean, he didn't own a gun, didn't have the right gear. Of course, First Light, I mean, he works for First Light. He had access to the gear, but he didn't have a pack or the right shoes. None of it. So... We'll find out how that hunt played out. We'll also kind of pick Cal's brain on on other Alaskan hunts that might be uh, more budget-friendly if you're interested in going to Alaska. So he spent a significant amount of time up there. And anyway, uh, we're going to spend quite a bit of time with both of them just dissecting this hunt and, and discussing the last great frontier. I mean, Alaska is certainly number one on my bucket list. I know it is for many of you as well. And for those of you who've already been there, whether that was to hunt or salmon fish on the Kenyai River, whatever the case, I am extremely jealous. So uh, it's definitely a place that uh, I'm looking forward to going to in the near future. So anyway, that's what's on the show for today. It's going to be a damn good one. I guarantee that. A couple other things to mention. Our November photo of the month contest is open. We've got an executioner ground blind from GSM Outdoors and Hunting Made Easy. It's the same one that I've been putting up all over my Texas and Oklahoma deer leases here in recent weeks. I've killed two deer out of it already, and uh, it's plenty comfortable. Heck, I would know I had a five-year-old in there with me uh, all weekend last week. So, uh, retails for like 180 bucks, I think. That's our grand prize for this month. Send in your best hunting or fishing photo. You can email them to Lone lonestaroutdoorsshow at gmail.com, or you can post them on our Facebook page or use that L S O S photo contest hashtag on Instagram. And then our monthly winners from 2018 will square off at the end of the year for a chance to hunt trophy black buck or axis deer with me down at Coons Canyon ranch in rock Springs, Texas. Let's do a quick giveaway. I've got a box of Kent fast steel, number fours for all you duck hunters since, uh, the season opens up this week. We're going to give a box of shells away. All you need to do is email the word Kent. That's Kent, K E N T to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. We'll get you entered to win the box of shells and a steel shot and also we'll throw in a Lone Star beer camo koozie. Uh, we will be right back with Lord my legacy, my son me. Henry Guy Smith joins us. You're listening if you to the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Do the wrong Undo the ride
1: It was right when you me only.
0: Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or dear lease? We have the solution the system hog trap Three Curl Outfitters is now offering guided North Texas quail hunts just 30 minutes south of DFW if you're looking for a quality quail hunt close to home, planning a company outing, or just looking for a place to tune up your dogs. You need to give them a call. Hunts are two fifty dollars a hunter for a half-day hunt. That includes 15 birds, and you can add extra birds for $8 a piece if you want to give your bird dog just a little more run. You're welcome to bring your own dogs. Otherwise, the guide and dog fee is one fifty a day for your entire group. That's not per person. Go to 3curl.com or call 214-641-8097 to book your hunt today. Hey, this is Evan Felker with the Turnpike Troubadours. Thanks for
1: listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Well, Covey took wing, shotguns singing, a pointing dog down in the old logging road. And Danny got three and looked back a grinning. I fumbled around and I
0: tried to reach turn. the turnpike. Drew, all time favorite tune there. He calls it the shotgun song. so... Uh, take that for what it's worth, but he loves it. I love it. Great tune, and it is great to be here talking outdoors with you fine folks today. I'm Cable Smith. Thanks so much for being here today, as we are actually about to visit with Mr. Henry I. Smith himself. Uh, Not sure how it's going to go when you put a five-year-old on the spot, but he just got back from his first hunting trip to deer camp with yours truly, and just to experience the Youthful innocence and excitement of a young boy on their first hunting trip—it um, was something very special for me as a dad personally, um, and and I enjoy seeing it with with everyone's kids, your kids, my brother's kids. It doesn't matter, uh, but to do it with your own kiddo and to have that rite of passage—and he didn't even pull the trigger. Henry's still working on firearm safety with his BB gun; it stays in the safe just like all of dad's rifles and shotguns and if he wants to shoot it he has to ask and he has to be supervised. Now, it won't always be like that, but that's where we're at as he is 5 and will turn 6 in uh well, December 31st. <laughs> There'll always be a party for him. That's the good thing. Um before we get into that discussion with Henry, this segment of the show proudly brought to you by Pulsar and the Helian Monocular. Listen, I've been using this thing religiously, getting in and out of my stands for a couple of years now. And this season, and I just did this the other day, it was starting to get a little darker. I still had 10 minutes of legal shooting time, but by my binos, I couldn't pick stuff up back in the woods. So I got out the thermal and it, mind you, it's still considered daylight and start scanning the woods. Boom. Big buck walks out. I found him with the thermal. Couldn't see him. With my binos, but I saw him in the woods. Waited for him to come out, and I actually did run out of legal shooting time before, uh, you know, I could get a shot on him. But I found him with that thermal. It's an invaluable tool. It's the Pulsar Helion. It's got internal recording. You should check it out. You can do so at pulsarnv.com, and you'll save 20% if you use my promo code Lone Star. That's Lone Star at pulsarnv.com. Alright. Well, let's uh let's go ahead and get a youngster's take on his first deer hunting experience. Henry, thanks for making time for us, son.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> are you a little nervous? You're shaking your head, yes. Why? It's just dad.
1: I don't know.
0: Let's talk about something. Yeah. What uh how old are you?
1: Five.
0: And what things have you gone hunting for with dad?
1: A dove, ducks, and deer, I think. Yeah?
0: And so, you've been duck hunting quite a few times, and dove hunting a handful as well, but we had been planning our first ever, what?
1: Deer hunt.
0: And have you been to deer camp to help fill feeders and stuff like that? Yes. And do you like deer camp? Yes. Why, because we get to eat junk food? go Uh. to bed late (laughs) right and mommy's not there most of the time to make rules for us yeah yeah but this time we were actually deer hunting Uh. yeah and we saw a bunch of pictures on our on our stealth cams our trail cameras which we looked at right yeah and so we got there friday night and the season opened saturday morning friday night yeah what did we do what did we do friday night do you remember we went out in the ATV? It was like 11 o'clock. What did we do?
1: We put up the pop-up blind.
0: That's right, buddy. And that was like at ele- I think we got done with that at like 11.10. By 11.27, you were passed out in bed, sound asleep. And I woke you up, I think, at what, 5.30? Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. And, and then we went and got on our pop-up blind. And we ate... What kind of, what kind of stuff did we eat while we were in there?
1: Uh... Donuts.
0: Yeah, donuts. And donuts.
1: And
0: Pop Tarts, maybe? Yeah,
1: maybe and candy. Halloween
0: candy. A yeah. Bunch of junk. Yeah. Yeah. So what, did we see any any deer that morning? Three. Three does? Yeah. Yeah. I think we saw three does, but no bucks, right? No hogs.
1: Nope.
0: No. Stop. I asked you if you wanted me to shoot a doe and you said no, you wanted to wait on a buck. That's right, a buck. So then we said, well let's go pull our memory cards out of the other feeder that we had set up. And what happened on the way to that? What what did we see with our pop-up blind?
1: A coyote? No.
0: Yeah, we might have seen a coyote, but what happened to our pop-up blind?
1: It got blown away.
0: <laughs> yeah, the wind? There was literally no wind that morning and this thing is staked down, tied down, and we I like Henry, we look over our pop-up's gone. So, like three hundred yards away, it was in what?
1: The little pond.
0: Yeah, our pop-up was in the middle of the pond. And what did Dad have to do?
1: Had to get in and get it.
0: Take my my hunting clothes off and fetch that thing, huh? Yes. Was that funny? I don't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> you, well, why were you laughing? You were. I know you were laughing when Dad was getting. It was cold. Dad was cold, wasn't he? <laughs> 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 so we got. Then we got. We scrapped that pop-up. Grabbed a new one. Set it up, and while well, that one dried out because it was pretty waterlogged, and we set it up 100. I think we are 160 yards away. Uh, going back to last week's show, where you can basically, I believe, set up a pop-up just about anywhere, and uh, even just a day or two ahead of your hunt, or in our case, a few hours. So we drove around, did our chores, topped off the feeders, pulled the memory cards. And then what? Oh, we we shot our BB gun.
1: Yeah. What did we shoot? Uh, water bottles.
0: (laughs) You like that? (laughs) Yeah, that's always fun. And that sometimes maybe beer cans. And they
1: blow up
0: (laughs) if there's beer still in them. Maybe an old skunky one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so next we got our camo back on. Got back in our pop-up blind.
1: Yes.
0: And. Like, right, what did I tell you? I said, right before dark, the deer are going to start coming out. And didn't they? And, and oh, and I gave you the thermal scope. Uh, Even though it was light outside, you could still find deer with it. And how many bucks did you find?
1: Like, I think one or two. I don't know. One
0: little one? Yeah. And you said, Dad, can we shoot it? And I said, no, it's too small, son. Right? Yeah. And you got sad and said, well, I hope we can get one. Because our buddy Jay shot one, and he sent us a picture
1: yeah.
0: He shot a nice one, and you said, "I hope we can get one, Dad." And at this time, yeah. I'm as a dad, I'm like, I hope that a hog or basically a coyote, anything walks out, so that Henry can see that hunting is uh, exciting, because you don't want to sit there all day and just it's kind of boring, huh? Yeah. For a five year old, but I don't. I think you handled it well when there was no action. You were always looking. We saw an owl. We saw a coyote. We saw deer.
1: We saw an owl, deer, a skunk, a... Raccoon? A raccoon, a possum, a hawk. hawk.
0: Prairie dogs? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we saw all sorts of stuff, didn't we? But we hadn't seen our buck yet. No. We were were just waiting for that buck. Yeah. So, I guess... And a coyote. And a coyote. And around, I don't know, probably 15 or 20 minutes before legal shooting time ended... Here comes the big boy, right? Yeah. He was came in from the back, was trying to sneak in. There was eight does at the feeder, and a little button buck, and he started chasing one of those does, didn't he? And then I said, Henry, do you see the buck? And you saw him. And you said, Can we shoot him? Yeah. And meanwhile, Dad's thinking, Gosh, there's 150 inch. 12 point out here somewhere that i want to shoot i can only shoot one buck on that place but you know what we had to do we had to shoot that buck because it was with you right that's right never even thought about it and
1: we probably didn't have enough time to stay and hunt
0: yeah well that's true too so dad put the old seven mag up on the kofi rest and i let it rip and you had some ear protection on was it loud yeah it's still kind of loud and what happened after that? Uh, we got out of the pop-up?
1: Yes, and we looked for it about like 20 minutes.
0: And you said you thought that I missed maybe, huh?
1: And then I found my, you went the right way, and I saw something, and I found it. <laughs> That's
0: right. I went the direction that I saw him run, and then you went in front of me, and you saw like a white belly or what did you see? How did you know it was a deer?
1: Uh I didn't know it was a deer. I just saw something and I knew it pro- um probably was a deer.
0: And we walked up on it. And yeah. w- where did daddy shoot him?
1: Uh right in his shoulder.
0: Mhm. Yeah. And so he only made it he only ran about 40 yards. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He ran and he jumped over the fence and then like ran. Probably a bit more than he died.
0: Yeah, so he died pretty fast. He didn't suffer. And then what did we do? We took some pictures. We counted his points. How many points did he have?
1: I think nine. That's right, buddy.
0: He had nine points. He was a nice buck. He's probably 15 inches wide, maybe 16. We didn't measure him. And then something that you'd never seen, what did Dad do after that when Mr. Wyatt came to help me load it up? What did Dad do with his knife?
1: Uh, You cut it.
0: And what did I do then?
1: you took his in,
0: uh intestines yeah and guts basically he's called it his guts yeah. and all of his organs and got him out of there and that's we do that so that we can keep the body temperature of the deer cool yeah so yeah. and then and then we took him back to camp
1: yeah and
0: this is our first year on the deer lease so we don't have any gambrels to hang these these deer up yet slight oversight on uh Myself and our my fellow lease mates. But we took uh, Mr. Wyatt's paracord, tied my buck and, and Jay's buck up, and then what did we do?
1: We hanged them up.
0: In a tree? Yeah. Yeah, because it was cool that night, right?
1: Yeah.
0: You went to bed real early. You fell asleep on the couch. We woke up the next day. Went We went uh, hog hunting, and we sat with Mr. Jay. And what, what did we shoot that morning?
1: Uh, a coyote.
0: That's right. A coyote, and why did we shoot the coyote? Do you remember?
1: Uh, yeah, because you didn't want him to eat the deer
0: and the quail and the turkey. Yeah, yeah that's right. So he eats what we eat. And it's called predator management. And I told you that we never kill anything for fun, right? We all there's always a reason why a hunter takes a life. Yeah. And you understand that, right? So we got a coyote that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then we went back, packed up, cleaned up, headed to the
1: uh, deer camp.
0: No, no. Where did we take the deer after that?
1: A taxidermy.
0: Pro- in the processor. Yeah, we basically took it to the processor <laughs> so that we could get. What is your favorite thing at Cinnamon Creek Ranch?
1: Uh.
0: That they make for us.
1: Meatballs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we gonna we're gonna get them turned into meatballs and. Uh, what else do you like? sausage yeah sausage so what did you think of your first deer hunting experience did you have a good time yes do you think someday you want to shoot your own deer maybe well whenever you're ready buddy I'm not gonna make you do it that's totally up to you but I think if you had so much fun you'll probably want to do it sometime yeah yeah do you want to do do you want to go with that again yes maybe next weekend All right, dude. Well, I love you. I'm proud of you. Thanks for sitting in the blind with your old man. And I can't wait to do it again.
1: All right.
0: So there you have it. Henry's first deer hunting experience. And uh, just to see the wonder in his eyes and, and how he soaked in the whole the whole trip, really, it truly made me feel young again. And uh, I, I think that that's something incredibly special to share with with a youngster. And, and I remember those first campouts with my dad. And we didn't have a deer lease. My dad, he didn't really hunt. He's a big bass fisherman. So we did a lot of camping and a, a lot of fishing. Uh, but those early campouts, um, I'll never forget them. Some of the best and earliest memories of my entire life. And at 37, I, I wish I could go back and, and relive those moments. No doubt about it. Um, that segment of the presentation was proudly brought to you by Rudy's True Texas Style Barbecue, where you can stop in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And also, Cindero Seed Company for all your planting needs. You can find them at Cinderoseed.com. They've got anything and everything you need to keep a happy and healthy whitetail herd. All right, we will be right back with a couple good friends from First Light. Ryan Callahan and Tag Spence join us. We're going to head to Alaska and hunt doll sheep. We'll do it next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. He has
1: put me in my place. Said, Stop being it, a baby. It's gonna be okay. Got me through a lot of the hard times. Every time I told him a story, he told me one worse than mine. It might be the right way. It might be the only way. The bear said he You
0: made, made me a man All right waterfowl junkies. The finisher is the quick and humane way to dispatch a duck or goose. It's, uh, you know, it's unsettling when you've wrung that bird's neck, you throw it in the pile, and 10 minutes later, he's laying there flopping. Uh-uh. We don't want that. That's not ethical. And so the finisher alleviates that. You stick the finisher in the back of the bird's skull at an upward angle, give it a little twist, boom, dead instantly, never felt the thing. The finisher is only 14 bucks. It fits on any waterfowling lanyard, and you can find it at adrenal-line.com. Live Oak Outdoors offers some of the best waterfowl hunting in the Central Flyway, hunting over 2,000 acres of cut rice along the coast that attracts wintering geese by the tens of thousands. Hunts take place out of layout blinds or white parkas over a spread of 1,500 decoys. It's also common to shoot pintail and other puddle ducks in the goose spread. Professional guides make sure you have a safe and memorable hunt of a lifetime. They're based out of El Campo, Texas. Check them out at liveoakoutdoors.com or you can book your hunt by calling Chris Slimp at 832-466-9646. Hey, hey, all you waterfowl junkies out there, Cable here for TX Duck Blinds, highly durable and highly mobile customized duck blinds built by duck hunters for duck hunters. Each blind is built from solid steel by professional welders and field tested before shipment. A duck season will come and go, but guess what? Your TX Duck Blind is built to last. Customize yours today by calling 817-965-1306. You can also find them at TexasDuckBlinds.com or check them out on Instagram and Facebook at TX Duck Blinds.
1: No, it ain't there I've been high I've been low I've been hell yes I've been hell no I'm trying my Brand new stuff there
0: from Garrett Ford, Woke Up in Waco.
2: I love that tune.
0: And as someone who spent, uh, I guess, the better part of four years in Waco going to school, certainly woke up in Waco in that same haze a couple times. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. I'm Cable Smith, by the way. Hope hope my mom's not listening. I don't think my dad really cares that much. But uh, anyway, <laughs> you're tuned in to the Lone Star Outdoors show powered by Dallas Safari Club. Uh, Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris, our longtime presenting sponsors. Thanks to you guys and gals for being here as we are about to be joined by a couple good friends of the show in uh, Ryan Callahan and Tag Spence of First Light. We've got a doll sheep hunt of a lifetime to get into. But before we do that, this segment of the show brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. Here's why I'm proud to be a member. Because DSC, they talk the talk and they walk the walk. They put their money where their mouth is and they continually have our backs as hunters. They're passionate about hunters' rights, education, and conservation. To get plugged in with this great group of like-minded people, check us out at biggame.org. Well, without further ado, let's bring on our first guest here today. We've got the duo... Ryan Callahan, many of you know him as Cal from various other outlets, uh, First Light, Meat Eater Crew, as he's been on quite a few of uh, those hunts as well. And then Tag Spence, who if you've been following along in his doll sheep journey, uh, Tag drew the sheep hunt of a lifetime at Sheep Show last year. It was a an Alaskan doll sheep hunt in the famed Brooks Range, and we had Tag on the week. It was actually a couple days before he departed on that trip. So uh, we've got a lot to get into, and I personally want to hear how this hunt played out. Ryan, Tag, thanks for being here, guys.
2: Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So,
3: Ryan, is that weird? Do people just call you Cal, or does anyone even call you Ryan anymore?
2: You know,
4: it used to be like a very – like, just the inner circle. And so, like, when somebody would be like, hey, Cal, <laughs> I'd be like, oh, I know you. I'm like, man, did we go to high school together or something? And they'd be like, no, I just heard you on the Lone Star Outdoor podcast. But uh, it's, it's gotten away from me. Right. So so now it's just normal. I
3: know you were doing a little, or planning on doing a little mule deer hunting in, in Idaho this week. Did you have any luck?
4: Uh. I did, man. I did. I, uh, never snapped cap, but, um, found uh, a couple of nice deer and, um, decided to ultimately go after one. Uh, that was a big, wide, heavy, uh, four on one side and was broken off on the other side. So it was a four by fork. Uh
2: Um,
4: that uh, was a real cool dude. Um, and, um, I was, I was going to put the final sneak on this guy, and, um, a black bear popped up next to me at 30 yards mm. and was right in between me and the, and the deer, and the deer was at 650, and I needed to shave off a few hundred yards, and, um,
1: and,
4: I had set my rifle down to, uh, you know, get my spotting scope out and, and look this buck over. And, um, and she kind of moved off. She was small. So that was my first, like, I have a bear tag in my pocket, but I'm not going to, mm-hmm. I'm not going to shoot this one. Uh, you know, small bears, they look too much like my old yellow lab.
3: Yeah. <laughs> um,
4: and, uh, so I go to get back in my pack, and I feel like something's watching me. And I look up, and there's two cubs of the year, like football-sized cubs, uh, at 15 feet. Wow! And I was like, "Man, this is not a good situation." <laughs> um, and that kind of ended ended the uh, the possible. Last push on that deer and never found him again. So that was the end of the season.
3: Wow, man, those bears! You and those bears. (laughs) Um, Well, Tag, what about you? Have you uh, been able to do any hunting since your your sheep hunt?
2: Yeah, you know, got to get out on a mule deer hunt, um, and was definitely humbled by it. Covered a lot of ground and spent a couple nights out in the woods. Really enjoyed myself. You know, I didn't. Finding quite as big as a big a deer as Cal did, uh, I got really excited just seeing a forky, Um but was was not successful. Kind of went from from the the pinnacle of big game hunting to to just really enjoying being out in the woods and chasing mule deer, but didn't come back with one. And I think that was actually kind of a great experience in and of itself.
3: Yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> like you said, to come from the top of the mountain. Uh you gotta be you gotta be humbled sometimes and, and hunting definitely does that to us. Um let's talk about, about your sheep hunt. I know a lot of people have been following along on First Lights website and YouTube as it you know it's been chronicled um with like a mini series. I think the videos are uh, six to eight minutes long, something like that. And we had you on I think the week before you left. Um when was this hunt? Was this like late August?
2: Yeah, it was like right. Dead center of August. Okay. Um, and I think when we talked, I don't know how much you know confidence came across in that uh, conversation, but I kind of was in the middle of a a panic mode with boots and, and trying to make sure I had what I needed to get the job done up there. So I can't exactly remember where we left it, but it was a pretty wild time uh, that, that week leading up to it for me.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think we actually talked like the day before you hopped on the plane. Uh yeah. So scrambling, no doubt. Um, what was uh what was Cal's role in helping you prepare for this once in a lifetime doll sheep hunt?
2: Oh man, well, you know, I I came into this and having spent a lot of time outside but during just the day and on skis and riding chairlets. And so Cal really got me out in the woods and showed me what I needed to do to be prepared to live out of my pack for a couple days. Um, having never done that and he can speak to it more again, but, you know, for me, it was, it was starting just like very grassroots, assume I knew absolutely nothing, which I didn't, I showed up with all sorts of gear that I didn't need and even, you know, more I, I was missing that I did need. Yeah. Um,
3: now for anyone you know, listening really, that doesn't know the background, uh, Tag actually won this hunt at, uh, I think it was like sheep show in Reno or something like that, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, the Lesson One Club Drawing at cheap Show. I, yeah. I won it. Wow. And I just completed my, my hunter safety um, last year, about a year ago. And so I was I was really coming into this thing, you know, with this dream once-in-a-lifetime hunt and, and needing to get as, acquire as many skills as I could as fast as possible. And so, so Cal, as, uh lucky as I was, took me out and they got me going in the right direction and taught me how to appreciate it out there.
3: So Cal, did you help him with the with the shooting or the you know the gear the backpacking uh probably all of it huh
4: I mean the bulk of the shooting um i, w- I would say it, and correct me if I'm wrong tag but ross Koppelman here at the office um, he's somebody who really enjoys uh shooting and and reloading and all that stuff um, and Uh, I just tried to help in regards to the shooting specifically with the, you know, the practical hunting application of those skills, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, finding a rest, um, seeing everything out in your space as an aid to shooting, Um, not getting your mind set on one particular shooting solution and being comfortable with the fact that there's just an endless amount of variables out there. Um, which I'm still not, uh, an expert in that by any means. So, I mean, that's a lifetime type of, uh, thing to master. Um, so we had a much shorter window and then, um, really just being comfortable with those variables out on the mountain, knowing that even though, uh, you can feel very small out there, you, you can still be the, uh. The master of your domain, so to speak. So,
3: mm-hmm. well, and and one thing that I always, even still today, uh, struggle with is slowing down. Uh, and it's not for me; it's not as much of a deal with archery because sometimes that just happens so fast. But uh, with the rifle, a lot of times you have more time. The animal's out there at three, four hundred yards; he has no idea that you're there. And I still find myself rushing. You know, um, so that's one thing that and I don't know. Tag, if you experienced that as, as a new hunter. I've been doing this a long time, and, man, that's just one thing that I still, to this day, am, like, always having to remind myself to slow down.
2: Oh, totally. I mean, I came back, and I told everyone the story of how it went down up there. and In my mind, I was like, oh, I was so calm. I was totally taking it easy, going through all of my steps and the motions that I practiced. And the bad news is that it was all on video, and (laughs) it kind of came to be not the case it was very apparent that I uh, was breathing extremely hard and, and was all jacked up. And I mean, how could you not be, but um, it's hard to put yourself in that position. I mean, I was lucky with Cal, you know, what he really did is say, okay, you've learned to shoot in a very predictable environment and now we need to take that and apply it in a way where you react and, and think in a different mindset based on what your you know surroundings are. And that was so valuable because I had I had really progressed from just starting off on shooting a twenty two and then a seventeen and then a six five and a three hundred and I was feeling pretty good about it and got out into the woods with Cal and he started putting me in all sorts of different situations and uh targets and quickly realized that I had no idea and um <laughs> the way that it all ended up going down in Alaska, I used those Skills and, and all of that to find a good rest and use what I had with me in, in terms of my pack and everything. Um, and prior to that, who knows? I would have been stuck on doing it one exact way. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like that that absolutely is what helped me be successful up there. Well, Cal,
3: I mean, obviously, uh, Tag embraced this full head of steam. He he had the desire, the passion to become as proficient. As he could in the limited amount of time that he had. Was there ever a moment where you kind of looked at him and was like, "Holy s, he's in way over his head."
4: Not necessarily way over his head. I mean, that's <laughs> a right, so
2: little hesitation nice there.
4: As being a uh, as being somebody who's used to coaching and used to um, taking that coaching and trying to improve himself, like he's got a PhD in that. Right. So he's heads and tails ahead of 99% of the clients I ever taught how to fly a fish or took out in the field because they're coming in with a mindset that they're going to go off and and do something uh, on their own. Whereas Tag, his mindset was like, you know, teach me all you can and I'll improve on it Mm -hmm. and watch me improve. And if I'm not doing it right, tell me and I'll improve on that. So I mean, oh, my gosh, you couldn't find somebody better. Um, However, um, and this is very, very common for lots and lots of folks who get kind of addicted to the bench rest, um, is target acquisition. Um, Your scope has a much lower setting than 16 or 24 or 18 or whatever it is. Um, and that's the setting that scope needs to be on. Mm -hmm. Um, and you need to be able to drop in place, throw that rifle on your pack, throw it on a rock, a tree limb, um, be in very uncomfortable situations and focus on acquiring that target, making your rest steady and still squeezing the trigger. Um, even though it's it's not in a nice comfortable seated position with um, something that is commercially manufactured to be a rest and provide stability, so um, that's and that's when we returned from our, our hike where we worked on a lot of this stuff. Um, again, tag jump in if, if I'm wrong, but that was the number one thing. I'm like
2: a hundred percent
4: do not shoot on a bench again like you have got
2: this is
4: what's <laughs> going to make or break this right and it, it, it wasn't a sense of being over your head it's just okay listen this skill set that you need to acquire is now trumping everything else
2: mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah I, I would say agree
3: well and, and that's kind of like um really the bench for me is just the it's where i zero my rifle and that's it after that you're never going to have, a, you know, especially like a sled. That's just not. Uh, that's not real. That's not a realistic part of hunting. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously, spending as much time as you guys did um, with those other kind of shooting situations definitely paid off. Cal, have you spent much time in, in Alaska's famed Brooks Range?
4: No, I've never been in the Brooks Range, and, and that was <laughs> something that was kind of funny. You know, we were in. We were hiking in you know, traditional Rocky Mountain Bighorn sheep country. Uh-huh. I mean, it, they're, they're traditional home range. Um, but, you know, just like most folks, and this is something really funny to think about, right? Most folks that spend a ton of time chasing sheep have never had a tag in their pocket that had their name on it. Right. Um, lots and lots of sheep guides out there that are masters of their craft have never shot a sheep. Um, I've got to guide a couple of sheep hunts in the past, um, and have never had a sheep tag. So, um, the Brooks Range situation another I was like, Yeah, you may or may not encounter this, these are my experiences, but, um, and you know, Gable, you've traveled a ton, um, and there's no matter where you get dropped off on the planet, there's always some consistent things that uh, – some consistent skill sets, some consistent mental attitudes that you need to have with you regardless of terrain and, yeah. and trying to just identify those and, and whittle it down to those. And, and uh, again, like just let Tag know that he's got to be uh, ready for the unknown and ready for variables and have the confidence to know that – that you can tackle those things head on and, and do well.
0: Right. And uh, Ryan, you mentioned the word variables. I think a lot of the way that we combat those variables is through the gear that we so diligently choose to take on this kind of a trip. So let's take a quick break, come back. I want to hear about uh, Tag's first light kit, his pack, his gun, all of those things that make a hunt like this, not just successful or unsuccessful, but enjoyable or plain miserable. Uh, And we will do that momentarily. That segment, by the way, brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Grab a 12-pack on your way to the deer least. Remember, drink responsibly and celebrate knocking down that big buck with an ice-cold Lone Star Beer. We'll be right back with more from our good buddies Tag Spinst and Ryan Callahan from First Light. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoors
1: Show. My,
2: oh my,
1: Friends, good friends,
2: friends for
1: life.
0: Pike County, Illinois, and the surrounding area is hallowed ground for whitetail hunters. And with 21 years experience, Golden Triangle Whitetails is the oldest outfitter in the state. Spread out over 14,000 acres, they have 350 acres of food plots, 500 tree stands, and over 80 box blinds. The guides take pride in having hunters harvest giant Midwest bucks. Golden Triangle Whitetail hunts the Illinois archery, shotgun, and muzzleloader season. They have a full-time chef and excellent lodging. Book your whitetail hunt of a lifetime by going to www.GoldenTriangleWhitetail.com today. Have you been looking for new and innovative products in the shooting industry? Then check out IOTA. Their scope rings and stocks are second to none, especially with their patented Zero Light and Key Lock technology. Based right here in Texas, check them out at IOTAOutdoors.com or call 979-229-4664. IOTA Outdoors, inspiring innovation for hunting and shooting.
2: This is Stephen Ronella, and you're listening to the
4: Lone Star Outdoors show.
1: I know there's been darkness in your life. I want to help you find the sun. Because I've been there when the sun don't shine.
0: That's music of the Great Divide, breaking the storm, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by the Dallas Safari Club, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. I'm Cable Smith, thanks to you guys and gals for being here, it's a treat to be riding shotgun with you today, thanks for tuning in. As we are visiting with our friends Ryan Callahan and Tag Spence of First Light, recapping Tag's doll sheep hunt of a lifetime. All the preparation, blood, sweat, and tears that went into this thing is uh, truly a novice hunter. I mean, that's the cool thing about this, is that Tag had really no legitimate hunting experience, and he wins a doll sheep hunt in Alaska. So, <laughs> couldn't have happened, I think, for from a a story standpoint. And, and to recruit someone else into the fold, uh, you know, another lifelong hunter, I think that's what happened with Tag. And we're going to jump back into that in just a second. But first, this segment brought to you by First Light. If you haven't checked out the new Catalyst system, man, you need to do it. What are you waiting for? It's what I've been wearing this whitetail season. The shell jacket, I mean, it absolutely cuts the wind from penetrating. I've worn it in wind and rain, which while it is not advertised as waterproof, it's certainly water resistant. I didn't get wet. Uh, And... I'll tell you this, it's tough because, you know, a southerner's uh, crawling around through barbed wire all the time. I mean, there's cross fences on every property that I hunt and I haven't managed to put a hole in it yet. So two thumbs up, check it out. It's the Catalyst jacket and pants. You can find it at firstlight.com. First light, go further, stay longer. Well, with that being said, let's jump back into it here with Cal and Tag and You know, Cal, we talked about variables in the previous segment, and there's no doubt that the gear that you choose to take on a week-long trip into the backcountry will help you succeed and deal with those variables or let you end up falling flat on your face. So Tag, I'm interested to hear what you decided on as far as your first light kit is concerned and what kind of weather you expected as you headed into Alaska's Brooks Range.
2: Yeah, I mean, really any type of weather. And I think that was a very important conversation that I had with Cal is be ready for everything from a sixty degree and sunny day all the way to it being thirty and snowing within the next hour and have the gear you need to be comfortable in both of those situations. And so I really built my layering kit off that idea and put together from you know, starting with a two hundred weight uh, base layer system, and then into our corrugate guide pant that you know is going to be real burly and and tough throughout the entire hunt. Um, staying on the bottom, I, I took our our puffy pants, and man, I gained such a quick appreciation for those things. They are unbelievable. Um, you know, we were sitting in fog for six hours, and then hmm. it started to rain, and I threw on our our boundary rain pants over the top, and I was as comfortable as could be. Um, with a very similar system on, on top, you know, the only thing I'd say I added that was just versatile beyond belief is our, our new Klamath grid fleece. I mean, that just broke wind and, and was comfortable and really lived in it um, day in and day out. I think what was crazy is coming back and, and seeing photos from the trip and looking at our Fusion camo in that terrain. It was kind of mind-blowing. I mean, it really... We've got some photos where you can't pick the person out from from the photo in the ground. So the gear was amazing. I felt, you know, it it really gave me a lot of confidence knowing that I could rely on it and and it was going to do everything I needed throughout the duration. Um, And I I couldn't have been happier. I I was so so comfortable.
3: Right. Well, you know, I think that every hunt plays out differently from a gear standpoint. You know, temperature, wind, rain, snow, all of that can be a big factor and after every hunt, I, you know, I'm I'm back at home and I'm unpacking and I, I look, I'm, you know, unpacking all this dirty, nasty gear. And there's always one thing that stands out, like uh, wolf trapping in B.C., it was the sanctuary bibs. I was like, man, I would have been screwed if I didn't have those. Montana Spring Bear, the Obsidian Pants with all of these like briars and everything I was walking through. You couldn't tear those things up. Um, New Mexico elk hunting, the sawtooth hybrid. That was my favorite piece. what What was your favorite piece on this trip? Oh.
2: I mean our uncompagre puffy jacket and this is c coming a lesson from cows that it's gotta serve, you know, multiple purposes. And using that thing every day, pulling it out of the pack when it started to cool down was awesome. But using it as a pillow at night <laughs> was equally as comfortable and, and you can't really you know, speak enough to the premium of sleep up there. Um so that was that was the go to. Oh yeah. Couldn't have done it without that.
3: Yeah. That thing, uh, I've I've wadded that thing up in my sleeping bag uh, sack before, and it does make quite a nice, comfortable pillow, for sure. Um, What kind of pack did you take? How heavy was it? I mean, like we said, um, you're a former collegiate skier, so you're an athletic guy. Uh, What was the desired weight of your pack for this hunt?
2: Um, You know, I I, uh, took a Mystery Ranch pack with me, and, you know, on a daily basis, I would say I was in the, in the 30 to 40 pound range cause we were able to hunt out of camp and we had stock with us with the horses. So I was able to leave a lot back, um, coming out, you know, I'd, I'd never packed an animal off of a mountain and we were 3,500 feet up and Casey Barton, my guide on the hunt said that he could tell I wanted to hurt. Um, and so I loaded that thing up. <laughs> it took uh, it took you know everything I'd been carrying that day, plus two quarters, the cape which had turned out to be soaked in in uh, a spring that where the animal fell, um, the the horns and, and he- skull and everything, plus all my gear. And I've never hurt so bad. I mean, I, I feel like a wimp saying that.
3: It's the best um, kind of hurt, though, right?
2: It is the best kind of hurt. I have never enjoyed that pain more in my life. Um, but we didn't get off the mountain until probably 2 a.m., and I was just a sweaty mess. It was unbelievable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's
3: let's talk a little bit about how this doll sheep hunt, this hunt of a lifetime, which I know Cal and I are both insanely jealous, tagged, but uh, super happy for you as well. Um, did Did Cal give you any advice on... You know, what other species you might run into, like, I don't know, grizzlies. And he's obviously had some well-documented run-ins with bears. <laughs> um, and whether to take bear spray or, or, or a, you know, a forty-five or or just kind of, hey, man, if a bear comes, you're really just screwed. It doesn't matter what you have. What, what was his advice on that front?
2: <laughs> oh, we talked about that there was definitely going to be the chance to run into one up there, and I knew it going in. But I, I think it really hit home when I landed in camp and I'm walking around, and there's salt all over the place. And I go, "What's going on?" And I asked. I was like, well, what, are "You guys dropping salt around for any critters or something?" They said, "No, we had a bear, a grizzly, in camp last night. Stole a cape and a couple quarters." I was like, "Wow, okay, mm. that's it's pretty close to home, pretty fast." And mm. So I wow. knew that it was going to happen, but uh, didn't we, we did. We did have with us um, in the chance that we ran into anything um, but we were we were starting to be smart after that hanging meat and there was a lot of bears up kind of having an off year with berries and such so had to be had to be smart about how we were taking care of everything
3: yeah yeah and Cal what do you what do you take bear spray or a pistol
2: uh
4: bear spray you know pistol is just heavy my, my general rule of thumb is anything you take have to do more than one job or else it doesn't count. I guess the only trade off there is how light it is. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I usually, um, I, am usually just, even when I'm in grizzly country during archery season, I, when I'm actually hunting, I'll just have bear spray with me. And, you know, if I'm riding stock, I, I typically have a, a pistol as well, but yeah, so just, just bear spray rifle season. I have a rifle, you know, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. uh, I know I'm, I, I'm very, I'm highly confident in my rifle abilities, not so much my pistol abilities.
3: Yeah, well, I think it's this like catch twenty two. Like you said, the a pistol's heavy. Um, when I was bow hunting uh, for elk in New Mexico in September, you know, I had a a ten millimeter that I that I carried up the damn mountain. And by like day two, I was like, you know what? I haven't seen any bears. I'm just gonna leave that in the tent. <laughs> Yeah, uh, might be stupid, but it is. It is what it is. Cal, you um, I mean, do you remember the first time? I know you you haven't been to the Brooks Range. I imagine you've been to Alaska. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I'm pretty sure I've seen episodes of the Meat Eater where you guys were in Alaska.
4: I did uh, some time out on the peninsula for brown bears, probably 2011. Uh-huh. Uh Worked as a packer out there for an outfit um, for uh, for a season. Um and other than that it's just been Prince of Wales, so no no grizz on Prince of Wales.
0: Uh-huh.
3: Well where was the uh I remember it's been a couple years now, but Stephen shot and wounded a moose and oh, uh
4: British Columbia.
3: That was yeah. B C okay. Yeah. I know, that was a little yeah, that was a little hairy situation as well. Um
4: Yeah, you know, the bears in that part of B C if they do encounter a person I would go as far as to say it is only associated with a vehicle uh-huh. and if you're on foot uh well away from a road they just they just see you as a cost benefit equation mm. like, is this going to give me enough trouble to where I burn more calories uh than I would if I didn't mess with it? Or is this going to give me enough calories to deal with trying to chase this thing down and eat it? Right.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and now they've got – I mean, that's a whole other deal as far as BC and their their grizzly problem, but uh, that's a discussion for another day. Um, Well, let me ask you this, Tag. When you stepped off the plane, and I don't know know, where you – Where you flew into, but when you got to, dropped off, you know, at camp, and you stepped off that plane, and and I'm jealous because I've never been to Alaska, but when you when you set foot on the, you know, the last great frontier, did it live every, you know, did it live up to everything as advertised? Um, Because that's like the first place on my bucket list I want to go.
2: Oh, absolutely, and then some. I mean, I think I alluded to it a little bit earlier when I said that when we talked the week prior, I had know some some uh pressure in my head or, or like trying to figure out you know a couple last pieces of my kit once i stepped off that plane all that went away it was so mind-blowing uh the country was just incredible and i really started to appreciate where i was and i i stopped worrying about the smaller things um and really just embraced where where we were and and what we were about to embark on and, and that was kind of what kicked it off in the right direction um for the rest of the hunt you know really after putting boots on the ground it was it was go time um and it just really set the stage hmm. well
3: as far as uh alaska i mean this, the the really the issue for a lot of people i think is cost and and you know cal you've guided there spent a lot of time there everything that i want to hunt there is so damn expensive i don't know if i'll ever get to hunt it in my lifetime um but my buddy who builds rifles here in Texas, was he just got back in September from a, a, a barren ground DIY caribou hunt. And him and three other guys went up there to the tundra. They all shot a nice caribou, and total cost, I think, for each of them was like $5,200, which for Alaska seems like I, a hell of a deal. So I was going to ask you, you know, you've been in the outfitting game a long time. Are there any other like affordable options to, to go hunt big game in Alaska that, that you're aware of where you don't have to be with a, you know, um, an Alaskan resident full time.
4: Yeah. I mean, there's uh, blacktail, um, which are incredibly fun and super tasty. Um, although that the tags for those have gone up considerably in the last three years, um, black bear, moose, caribou, And, you know, wolves would, I'm not sure how many folks go up as a destination species. You know, those are all super fun options. Uh, Alaska, especially when I talk to my friends that are uh, residents up there, what's affordable can be very, very different depending on who you're talking to. So um, the trade-off, if you're a resident,
2: um,
4: like your complaint to somebody in the lower 48 is you know you folks in the states you can just go hunt and it doesn't have to be a major expedition uh because typically if you're going to go someplace you're taking a bush plane
1: mm-hmm.
4: um and bush planes are expensive uh a
3: buddy uh, or a guy that i hunted black bear with in uh in Alberta, years a couple years ago, told me that by the time you got a bell pepper to Alaska, and like in the in the back country, it was like a five dollar bell pepper.
4: Yes, and you <laughs> Just know,
3: talking about the bush, how expensive cases it is. Of
4: beer, right? Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah. So, I mean, that's that's a trade off that you got to think of. So, mm-hmm. um, even if you are going to do one of these DIY hunts, um, you know, you're paying for uh, fuel more than likely in and out unless you're doing a, uh, float, um, possibly like a hike out situation. Yeah. Um, and when you get into multiple guys and bigger critters, critters like moose, um, then you can be looking at, you know, several flights. Um, and so, you know, I, when you said your friend went up on the caribou hunt, I was, immediately thinking five to seven grand.
3: Yeah. yeah.
4: Um, Uh And, you know, a moose hunt, DIY, um, depending, again, on where you go and how lucky you get, um, can easily be 10 to 15 grand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, it just depends on on how you do things. And, And, you know, Stuff's expensive up there.
1: So mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. Well, tag, what is uh what is the value of that, that doll sheep tag uh on the open market?
2: Well I think and it varies you know from outfit to outfit, but I I did uh, buy my doll sheep tag, which as a non resident was I think eight hundred dollars for the locking tag um itself. And uh-huh. then uh, you know, as a non resident you have to hunt with either, you know, a, a guide or a next of kin relative that is an Alaskan resident. Um and that just is gonna depend on, on which outfit you go with. You know fortunately winning it, I, I wasn't aware or sure exactly what that would run, but I think that can be anywhere from fifteen to twenty five thousand as far as kind of where I'm gauging it. Um that's you know, all gear and travel and everything else like that aside. Mm-hmm. Depends on obviously what what kind of outfit you're running with. But you know, the only thing I'd add on is, you know, once you get up there, you really realize why stuff, is, why it's expensive. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to get things in and out. It, it's a lot of work. People are are putting in a lot of effort to make things run up there, um, and that's something you know you realize right away is that it's it's not easy to do. It's not easy to get to, and and uh, there's a lot of people that make it happen.
0: Well, Tag Cal, um, let's take a quick break. You know, we've we've gotten the backstory. We've talked about the preparation that went into this doll sheep hunt. We've discussed Alaska, uh, and, you know, in general terms, lots of interesting stuff on that front. Let's come back, though, in just a second and hear how this hunt actually played out and if Tag was able to uh, get his hands on a big Alaskan doll sheep ram. Sound good? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Perfect. And that segment was brought to you by Horizon Firearms. Y'all have seen my Custom 7 mag. You've heard me talk about what attack driver it is, and the truth is is that when I put the crosshairs on an animal, it's going down, and it's going down right there. And that includes everything from a 2,000-pound eland to a 20-pound Steinbuck. I mean, it just performs. And trust me, I beat the hell out of all of my gear, including a custom rifle. It is what it is. I'm hard on it, and it stands up to that punishment. Check it out. Horizon Firearms, you can find them at horizonfirearms.com. We'll be right back with more from Ryan Callahan and Tag Spence to the first light. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. got
4: 17 coon dogs out in the pen. 10, 11-point bucks hanging in
0: den. If he ain't a-hunting, he's a Howdy, folks. I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore
3: in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Fairs once again, the number one Polaris dealer in Texas.
0: Visit bobcatofdallas.com or call 469-586-0000.
2: I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations.
4: As a member, you'll receive Game Trails Magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization
2: based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9000 go hunt, or visit our website at www.biggame.org.
1: I saw him at the sawmill yesterday on Choctaw Ridge. And now you tell me Billy Joe's jumped off the Tallahatchie Bridge. Mama said to me, child, what's happened to your appetite?
0: Ode to Billy Joe. There's a classic from the great Bobby Gentry bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith here with you today. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. And thanks to uh, Ryan Callahan and Tag Spence of First Light. As we are talking all things Alaska specifically, we're about to get the details on how Tag's Doll Sheep Hunt played out. But first, this segment of the presentation proudly brought to you by John X Safari's Lone Star Outdoor Show trip number three to South Africa with John X is booked. It's June 7th through the 15th, 2019. If you want to be a part of this once in a lifetime trip, well, I say it's once in a lifetime, but I'm going on my third trip. So I think it's one of those once in a lifetime trips that turns into, I don't know, you just kind of get, you get the itch. And I think the Dark Continent just grabbed you. But anyway, if you want to be a part of this trip, shoot me an email, Lone lonestaroutdoorsshow at gmail.com, and I'll get you the necessary information. Love to have you. I think we have three spots left. Um, okay, well, let's pick it back up with uh, Ryan Callahan and our good buddy Tag Spence to First Light. And before we get the nitty-gritty details as to how the actual take of this animal played out, uh, Tag... How many days were you actually planning on being in the backcountry trying to harvest a ram?
2: Yeah, the, the hunt itself was going to be eight days of hunting. It's a 10-day hunt, um, but, but really eight days of hunting once you took into account travel and, in and out of base camp. Um, and We rode uh, for probably two hours the first day and, and then hiked with just the intention of glassing and got stuck underneath some fog, like I said, for six, seven hours. And that was like where it first started to set in and I was like, Oh man, eight days isn't quite as long <laughs> as I thought it was gonna be. You know, like we're already a full day in and yikes, I, I really hope nothing's happened. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we got lucky and the uh the fog lifted and uh Casey, my god,'s like, you know, let's let's just poke our head around one more ridge and go another thousand you know, uh, vertical feet up and see if we just can't find these sheep and, and see what's up here, and that was when we first bumped into a group of, of four four rams. Uh, three three were very young rams, and one was maybe legal. Um, couldn't get within 500 yards of them, and I I set my my outer boundary was shooting at 400, um, and that was like something that blew me away. Was sort of the difficulty when you're in that situation. And I didn't expect that at all. I don't know. That was just something that I was so confident in my ability to, to shoot at 400 and thought that was going to be just fine. Mm -hmm. Um, but it proved to, to be harder than I thought to get closer and closer. So we ended up leaving that night, backing out, um, you know, daylight up there. It stayed light for a lot longer that time of year, but you, you are losing it, um, every day. And so we had to get down and water and feed horses and everything. And, uh, we moved camp the next day and, you know, not uh, to Cal's point of expect the unexpected, nothing went as planned, you know, moving the horses didn't go as planned. And, hmm. um, you know, kind of a backstory, Rick Smith, who is the videographer for it and had filmed with Cal prior on some meteor hunts, ended up falling off his horse and breaking a few ribs on our way. Oh God! And, um, <laughs> we had to deal with that, but, um, Ended up getting really lucky and and hiking up that that second day and bumping into a group of six rams. Um, Four of them were legal. And uh, we were able to make a stock on them. And again, couldn't get within 450 yards. We would have put ourselves in a wide open situation. Mm. Um, And so we had to be patient again. Sat for uh, probably around three hours there going back and forth in my head on should I shoot should I wait you know what if these guys duck off on the other side like thinking through all the work that it took to to get onto that ridge and and have them in sight and be right there and only 50 yards right like outside of what I thought I could make an accurate shot on and um, we made the decision to wait and be patient because it was only day two and there was a meadow in between us and where those rams were bedded down. And sure enough, they got up and they started feeding right into us. Mm-hmm. And uh, they fed inside of 300 yards. Um, and I remember just kind of sitting on the ridge and I'd made a rest with actually the top of my pack. And to Cal's point, you know, I'd, from when I went with him until I left for the trip, I only shot off of either my pack or a rock with my hat on the rock or what have you. So I felt real comfortable. So I, again, felt very confident and, and just appreciated the moment of, of, watching these rams in a line feed into us. Um, we were able to establish the, the ram that was legal and a shooter that or, you know, what we felt was the most legal. Cause we, like I said, four rams were, um, and was able to uh, capitalize on it. It did take me two shots. Um, My first shot was a little farther back on the animal and kind of gutted it, Um, but was able to, to Cal's point, acquire, reacquire the target after the practice we'd put into it. And uh, on the second shot, in between some mini heavy and loud breaths... um,
3: Which you can see on the video, yeah.
2: (laughs) You can see on the video, right? Yeah. Exactly. So that was quite the emotional experience for me after all the work that everyone else, you know, I mean, that's really what also goes into it is is how much time and energy people like Cal, Ross Copperman, everyone here put in uh, to helping me get there and and how bad I wanted it as well. So, and then to top all that off and, and be in the situation where you're, you're shooting at an a live animal for the first time. You know, the emotions that come from that and, and from harvesting an animal. And, and oh, my God, yeah. That you feel. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot went through it. And um,
3: I mean, this is very, small. Very my situation, and I'm sure Cal has something similar, but ours um, didn't involved shooting a doll sheep in Alaska. You know, I went to my buddy's lease and shot a tiny basket racked eight-point. Um, and, I, you know... I uh, walked up on it, and, and I remember how I felt then. And it still happens every time I walk up on an animal that that I that I harvest today. I don't feel bad, you know. I'm, it's more of a feeling of gratitude um, at first, and then after that, it's like high five time, you know. Uh, we did it, and I'm sure that that there was some elation and probably relief for you because uh, you you know it's been well publicized. Everyone's seen these videos. You I got to come back with a sheep, right?
1: <laughs>
2: right yeah i mean i think i went up and down and all over because here it had come together best you could ever draw it out but then on the flip side it was only two days and the hunt was over and yeah. uh, you know It was like come on i i wanted to maybe find a little more of a balance there
4: um <laughs> see more you know country. that was my biggest fear Throughout this entire process and honestly why I was more hands-off than I could have been I could have been more involved um, the I didn't want tag to feel like oh my gosh I have to do this because whatever
1: mm-hmm. and
4: obviously you know we're a pretty laid-back group around here but there was a lot of production. There was a budget around damn near everything Tag did for <laughs> months. And I just, I was like, man, and I talked about this with a friend of mine. I'm like, we have absolutely failed if Tag gets up there and says, well, I have to kill this sheep because of the business or because somebody else wants me to Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's got to be a, got to be a personal experience when you're behind that trigger. Yeah. And, um, and that was like my, my only, like, I guess my last two pieces of advice, right. It's like, make sure you got your scope on the lowest power possible. And, Kind of be upfront with the fact that you don't know how to do stuff to to your guides don't don't pretend like you know something and the only way you're gonna screw this up is
2: if you go up there and don't enjoy it
3: yeah yeah
2: well, and, and that meant a lot it made a big difference and i I truly took that attitude into the hunt and was able to not only enjoy it but I think that also is what allowed us to be successful because we were able to let it play out for us
3: yeah well judging by what you said earlier that you've already been mule deer hunting since this uh i'd say that you're, you're it sounds like you're hooked man so congratulations on that
2: <laughs> that's awesome oh totally hooked. Yeah. Oh, absolutely
3: so we, we're almost out of time here's what i, I want to know because i've never eaten any kind of uh, sheep other than Awad and uh, this one exotic some guys shot at a ranch and they were they wanted to you know they're those hunters that kind of people frown at that and everyone has their own right to do whatever but they shot the animals and then flew back on their private jet to wherever they were from and really just wanted the mounts. so my taxidermist was like you want some transcaspian uriel and i was like well what the hell is that and he's like you know some sheep from I don't know, somewhere in africa or the middle east and i was like well shoot yeah so it was one of the best things I've ever eaten in my life. I think I might have even told Cal that story before, but uh, you know that's my my experience with sheep is very limited. What does our native North American sheep taste like?
2: Unbelievable! The best thing I've ever had, and I you know I'm,
3: I'm even more jealous. jealous. <laughs>
2: this, this, this first wild game that I've really had too. So to start there, you know, is wild, um, but I put a lot of effort into bringing all of it home you know we I took a, a cooler up with me we because we tagged out early i was lucky enough to to process the animal and get everything deboned and and then put into a freezer and then flown home and was lucky enough to bring home 60 pounds of meat and Awesome. we're gonna enjoy it here so yeah yeah it, it is it lives up to expectations
3: mm. and and gal what are your thoughts on on sheep source table fair.
2: I would say
4: if you are ever so lucky to have a cheap tag with I, your name on it. I
3: just hope I have a friend that's you that better lucky.
4: Better bring every ounce <laughs> of that critter home.
3: Yeah, right on, right on. Well, tag, I am. I'm certainly jealous, man. There's no doubt about that. It's a happy jealous, though. Um, I think everyone within the industry agreed. You know, hey, this is this is a better deal that that now we've got we've recruited a new hunter, and it's just by sheer luck that. I, and I think you probably had the desire to go hunting, but this kind of forced your hand a little bit more. Um, it's been a great story. I've certainly enjoyed following along on the on the videos. Uh, folks can check those out at firstlight dot com, also on the YouTube. But uh, thanks for your time, both of you. Tag, congrats on the the sheep of a lifetime, man. It's it's truly an awesome thing.
2: Ah, oh, thank you so much. Thanks for thanks for having us back on.
3: Absolutely. And Cal, where are you? You're headed off for an eleven day uh, adventure somewhere. Where are you going?
2: Yeah, I'm flying into
4: Frank Church, River of No Return Wilderness on Monday, and I am uh, hunting possibly my favorite critter in the woods, which is the mule deer. Um, got uh, some lofty, lofty goals <laughs> as far as uh, how far we're going to be going under human power and how far we need to pack things out um as well as the uh the the size of the mule deer in in our imaginations right now so right on right on but Mm. it's gonna be great it's gonna be cold it's gonna be snowy um and you know i'd add favor those conditions it feels really good to get back home and in front of a fire when you're done but Um, you just don't appreciate that fire nearly as much if you don't get to go out and freeze for a few days.
3: Yeah. Well, maybe there'll be a a story you can share on the podcast sometime down the road. Hopefully you'll punch your tag, and I know that uh, the memories will be many, but appreciate you both, guys. Thanks so much.
4: Hey, thank you. Thanks.
0: All right, there they go. Tag Spence and our old buddy Ryan Callahan of First Light. Great stuff there. And uh, you can check out that whole video series uh, on First Light's website. Like Ryan said, they dumped quite a bit of money into the production of Chronicling His Journey. Uh, Very well done series. And you can find it on their uh, website and YouTube channel as well. That segment of the presentation was brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, land. It's the one thing they ain't making any more of, my friends. We all want it. And if you're ready to take the next step and make your dream a reality, call my friends over at Lone Star Ag Credit. They've been doing this for over 100 years, helping folks finance their own piece of paradise. So whether you want it for recreating, hunting, fishing, running cattle, or just to get the hell out of the big city for a few days, uh, Lone Star Ag Credit has you covered. You can find them at lonestaragcredit.com. Just looking at the clock here, unfortunately, we're flat out of time. Got to go, got to get out of here. Do want to say thanks to all of our guests, uh, little Henry Guy Smith, my boy, and of course Ryan and Tag as well. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors Show. We'll do it again, same time, same place next week. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying, Take a kid hunting or fishing, and have a great week in the outdoors.
1: I'm taking the barn, Sam. Under a neon sign, I'm gonna graduate when you're off my mind. In this honky tonk school, we got a hill of